Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome to another edition of Transformational Energy Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, coming to you from the heartland of America. Now, a little plug over the commercial breaks. Go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And send me your emails. Send them to mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can also find me on this platform under the Empowerment Channel. And I'm on social media, that's Facebook and LinkedIn. And it goes without saying, if ever there was a time for real leadership and team efficacy, that time is now. Wherever you are in the world, no doubt you're affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in one way or another. And we cannot have a discussion on my show right now without recognizing this moment in history. So my question for you and for my guest as well is what is the true role of leadership if you want to be transformational? And what's the role of team? as we all navigate forward. My guest today is Mike Robbins. He's the author of his upcoming book called We're All In This Together, and he will contextualize for us what is required for teams to prosper through good and dark times. Now, Mike is the author of multiple books, including Bring Your Whole Self to Work, Nothing Changes Until You Do, Be Yourself, Everyone Else Is Already, and Focus on the Good Stuff. He is a sought-after speaker, consultant, and thought leader who delivers keynotes and seminars around the world to clients like Google, Microsoft, Gap, Genentech, and many, many more. He played professionally as a baseball player in the Kansas City Royals organization, and he is a frequent, frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal, and many, many more. But let's get to it. Mike, welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. Hey, thanks for having me, Matthew. How are you? I am doing I'm doing great. Thank you. You know, Mike, I think it's what I call synchro destiny that you are here today. The name of your book, We're All in This Together, it couldn't be more timely. And I'm curious as we start our discussion today, what was the motivation for you writing this book? You know, I really had two primary motivations and now of course it's taken on a whole other significance given what's going on in the world. My primary motivation was you know, I've had my consulting business for the last 20 years, and uh, a lot of the work that we do focuses on teamwork, on performance, on culture. And with all the books that I've written, I've actually never written a book specifically on team performance and wanted to really kind of dive more deeply into some of the more recent research and, you know, build on what I've learned over the last 20 years and write a book about it. I also secondarily wanted this book to come out this year in particular, knowing it was going to come out this spring. And with the title, we're all in this together. You know, given how divisive things have been here in our country, Matthew, and around the world, politically and socially and otherwise, I just felt like I wanted to make a statement and share some of what I've learned and some of my research around how we find common ground with each other, both within our teams and organizations, but also in general. And then, of course, you know, as I was writing this book and researching it last year and knowing it was going to come out. I had no idea it would come out in the midst of a global pandemic, the likes of which uh, none of us have ever seen in our lifetime. And 
as you and I were talking about right before we came on the air here, you know, now more than ever, the idea that we're all in this together probably couldn't be more true. Absolutely. And, and you, and let's talk about that. So while we're all in this midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, why is it vital for leaders across industries to address the stress, the disruption and uncertainty that's caused by the coronavirus? Well, Look, I mean, the reality is in some ways, I was literally just talking to a leader yesterday about this. There's a practical part of this that we are all in different situations, meaning, right, each one of us are right now, most of us are at home. If we have the good fortune enough to work from home, you know, our families are home with us. We have different situations at home, either we're by ourselves or we're with a spouse or children of different ages. And, and the truth is, given all the economic uncertainty the way this is impacting certain companies and certain individuals inside of companies, people being furloughed, people being laid off, some people being incredibly busy like they've never been before, other people's having their jobs disrupted in significant ways. With all the uniqueness of how it's specifically impacting us, there is this common sort of universal impact in that we're all um, dealing with it mentally and emotionally. And again, your emotional reaction might be different than mine, um, but it's pretty significant. And so as I've been talking to a lot of leaders and teams that I work with and our team works with, the thing that we've been focused a lot on first and foremost is how do you tend to yourself and how do you tend to the people on your team and also the people in the organization or even your customers or clients on a human level? Because this is a pretty significant human experience. And, you know, before we dive into all the different ramifications of how we do business and how we do this and what's going to happen and how do we optimize and pivot our business so we can stay, you know, all that stuff that has to be in the, the tough decisions that have to be made. The first really simple thing we can do is ask each other a question that we ask all the time, but we don't really, really ask it and really mean it is, how are you? Mm. Right. That's how we say hello to each other. We say, Hey, how are you? How's it going? What's up? And you say, I'm fine. How are you, Mike? But like, really like the authentic version of that question is, how are you really? And mm-hmm. it sounds simple and subtle, but it's profound if we can really ask and answer that question honestly with each other and keep checking in with one another. And I think there's a, there's a different approach to how people are answering that, I'm finding. And I, I know yeah. for me, when people ask, how are you feeling? Or, you know, how are you doing? I literally take yep. the question and, and respond appropriately because, right, it's a very different time. You know, this conjures up a point. I was on a a Zoom conversation with a group yes. of coaches here in Nebraska that I, you know, Zooms become the the what do you want the taxonomy for everyone? Yeah, and yeah. we were talking about leaders and resilience, and I think not only with leaders, but this applies to everyone. There's a continuum, and we have there are ways that we react. We react to situations like this, there can be the the approach that they underreact and are a bit uncertain. You know, you kind of wait and see, you're dismissive. Then you have the extreme opposite where you overreact and you can become emotional, right. you know, overwhelmed. But there's this opportunity right. in the middle where we be more adaptive, you know, you're yeah. more emotionally self-aware, can be opportunity driven, see this as an opportunity and think long term. And I don't yeah. know, what, what's your your reaction to that? Well, look, I mean, I think we have to all give ourselves a break at the moment. You know, there are going to be moments that we overreact and underreact. I think even the best leaders and, and right. I mean, I, I don't know about yes. you, but like when you, if someone asked me the question, how are you? Well, it depends on the moment. Like right now 
I'm feeling great. And then, you know, 10 minutes from now or an hour from now or, you know, <laughs> later tonight, who knows? Because it's, we're all kind of on this roller coaster. But one of the things I've been thinking about a lot when I've been talking to leaders, specifically leaders, but this is true for all of us. It could be with our families, could be with our teams. I think about being on an airplane, which I'm clearly not flying on airplanes right now as none of us are, but, um, I travel quite a bit and have over the last 20 years traveling around the country and around the world speaking. And I, you know, I don't mind flying. It's not a problem for me, but, um, I don't really like turbulence like most of us, right? When the plane's bouncing around, it's not my favorite thing. But what I <laughs> notice over the years of traveling on airplanes is when the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're going to hit some turbulence up ahead. So I'm going to have the flight attendants take a seat. We're going to discontinue the service. It might get pretty bumpy. We're going to do our best to get through it and get to another, you know, commerce space, but I'll sort of keep you posted, right? And then we hit the bumps. And even if they're mm-hmm. pretty significant, if I've been warned that they're coming and I know he knows they're coming and he's like told me, I'm usually more relaxed myself. I don't particularly like it. I feel better when the bumps stop. But, you know, maybe he comes in and updates us. It's going to last this longer. This is longer than we thought or whatever. But some kind of proactive communication lets me know, right? If no yes. communication happens and we hit some bumps, now I'm really freaked out. Like, what's happening? What's going on? Who's in charge? Do they know what's happening? Are we going to crash? Like, right? <laughs> all that stuff. Or if so, if no communication, or if he comes on and says, oh, no, no big deal. It's no, Don't worry about it, whatever. And it's like, actually, no, that feels like a big deal. And now, you know what I mean? Yes. So leaders want to be is more like that first pilot and not the second pilot, ideally. And the truth is that we don't know exactly what's happening and where it's going and how long it's going to last. I mean, we can listen to the experts and the models and have a sense, but I think the more leaders can proactively communicate constantly and let people know, here's what I know, here's what I think, here's what's happening. And also on a personal level without overreacting to your point, but it's okay as a leader to let your team know, by the way, yeah, I'm actually feeling kind of stressed out and scared myself right now. Like that's appropriate Mm -hmm. for the moment. That doesn't freak people out. You know, I mean, if you go into a big long to do about how the world's coming to an end and you're never going to write, okay, maybe (laughs) you do that with a peer or you do that with a mentor or you do that with a coach or you do that. Right. But mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. to be real like that with your team and also let them know some of what's happening that tends to have the uh, impact of calming people down a little bit in the midst of stress and challenge. Absolutely. It humanizes you and no one, everyone yeah. wants to connect to the human. Yes. Let's, let's totally. turn to your book and, and talk a little bit about we're all in this together and you have a, yeah, organized in four different pillars. So how about yep. t- introduce us to the first pillar and just give us a sense of some of the ways that makes it so challenging. Well, so the first pillar is um, about creating psychological safety and psychological safety is essentially group trust, right? It means the mm-hmm. group is safe enough for me to what? Speak up, take a risk, disagree, uh, even fail. Not that I want to, but if, if I am on a team with psychological safety, I can do those things and know that I'm not going to get shamed I'm not going to get ridiculed. I'm not going to get kicked out of the group just because I had a dissenting opinion or I tried something and it didn't work. And some of the challenges with psychological safety is, you know, we, we get scared. We might be judged. We might be criticized. We might be socially excluded. That's happened to all of us. So the fear is if I take a risk or I try something and it doesn't work, you know, there's also a sense of negative competition. I think of competition and from my background, I was an athlete. I played baseball for many years and um, I know you're from Nebraska. Actually, I played in college at Stanford and got a chance to pitch in the College World Series. So Omaha, Nebraska has a special place in my heart. Uh, um, but all those years playing playing baseball, I got a chance to even play professionally for a few years after 
college with the Kansas City Royals and ended up getting injured when I was in the minor leagues. But I, you know, grew up in a lot of competitive environments. And to this day, still consider myself a relatively competitive person, but there's positive competition and negative competition. Positive competition is when we compete against each other so that we bring out the best in each other. We challenge each other, right? Negative competition is when we root against each other. And so in an environment, if there's negative competition, which there's a lot of that in our culture, quite frankly, it can make it harder for us to really create that sense of psychological safety because I'm not going to take a risk or put myself in a situation where you might be able to beat me and then use that against me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's also, you know, lack of modeling from leaders. We sometimes get prideful and stubborn. And one of the biggest things that gets in the way of psychological safety is our demands for perfection, right? Like we have to be perfect. If if I'm a leader or just in general, if 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 the goal is perfection, we're always going to fail. Right. And Mike, we're at a commercial break already. And But yeah. what I'd like to do when we come back is one thing I really appreciate when my guests share some practical approaches to addressing yep. this in this area with psychological safety is so paramount right now. So what we'll do is yeah. we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion. And for all of you listening out there, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. We'll see you back here in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Take a closer look at yourself in the present. Your body has its own GPS system designed to help you follow your intuition, align your thoughts, and set your own course. Host Dee Lee is here to be your external guide to this discovery. Take a break, a mindful space to pause, and help bring forth the balance that your life deserves. Listen live for Mindful Space to Pause every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for Inspired Chi Radio with A.J. Johnsack and Tracy Sanginetti. Do you sometimes feel like you have no direction? Every one of us is a soul with a body, not the other way around. Discover your talent and purpose. Tracy and A.J. help you create your most authentic life and master your powerful, positive energy using modalities like hypnosis, tarot, and your own individual Akashic Records. Join us live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Welcome back, everyone. Today, Mike Robbins, the author of We're All in This Together, joins the show. And before the break, we were talking about the first four pillars, and the the first one is called Create Psychological Safety. And Mike, I'm a huge fan of practical application, and we talked about how difficult or challenging it can be because of competition and all the other things you were talking about earlier. Yeah. I know you've got a a real life example of how you can start creating deeper, more authentic and meaningful relationships within a group. And you call it the waterline on your iceberg. Share with us what is meant by lower the waterline. Well, you know, I've been talking about and writing about and researching authenticity for years. So authenticity is a foundational uh, pillar of my work, but also if we're going to create psychological safety and really have strong teams, strong culture, be able to trust each other. And the metaphor that I use when we're talking about authenticity is the metaphor of the iceberg. It's an overused metaphor, but it fits really nicely here. And basically, the way we build more authentic relationships with each other, the way we ultimately create more psychological safety with our teams is by lowering the waterline on the iceberg, which means we get a little more real with each other. We're willing to be vulnerable. We're willing to share a little bit more of who we are. And there's an exercise that I've been doing for years with teams when I come in Um, And I do this in different environments. Sometimes I might be speaking to a big group of people, so we'll do the exercise in pairs, you know, or maybe the group is, you know, 40 or 50 people, and it's kind of a workshop, and we'll do it in small groups. My favorite way to do the exercise is with a team, an intact team itself. So we've got 10, 12 people. Maybe I'm there for a half a day or a full day, and they've got an offsite or something. And the way the exercise works, and anyone can do this with their team. So as you're listening to this, this is something you can absolutely do. You can do on a Zoom call right now with your team. You can do it, you know, in in a few months or whenever we're back together and sitting in the same room with each other. But basically it goes like this, and I talk about the iceberg and I talk about lowering the waterline and we talk a little bit about why it's challenging to do that. But ultimately when we do the exercise, I always start and I say what we're going to do now is we're going to go around the table here or the group or the, you know, the, everyone is going to have a chance to talk for a minute or two. And when it's your turn, there's no right or wrong way to do this. You don't have to say anything you don't want to say, but what I'm going to ask you to do, what I'm going to challenge you to do is Step out of your comfort zone a little bit, lower the waterline on your iceberg, and you're just going to repeat this phrase. If you really knew me, you'd know this about me. And mm-hmm. again, you don't have to say anything you don't want to. And usually I'm working with people who know each other relatively well. Sometimes they're more newly coming together, but it's not like they don't. So it's not, I said that may sound a little strange, but what I'm asking you is actually if we really knew you in this moment, what would we know? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What's going on down below your waterline? And again, I always go first as a way to model it. And, you know, I don't plan it or prepare. It's just if they really knew me in that moment, how I'm actually feeling, what's going on, what am I thinking, what's happening in my life. And oftentimes, and I'll go for a minute or two minutes and just share a few things. I also make, try to make it as safe as possible. I let everybody know, look, when you're talking, no one else will be talking. No one's going to be interrupting you or commenting or giving you advice or laughing or, you know, adding their two cents. We're all just going to listen. And I also ask the group, can we keep what everybody says in this conversation confidential so that people feel as safe as possible? And then usually after I get done, I will go to the next person. Oftentimes I'll have talked to the leader about this beforehand that we're going to do it. And I'll go to him or her and say, will you go next? Because if they go Mm -hmm. and they're really willing to go there, it makes it safer for the whole group. And then we go around and everyone has a chance to share. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes people are, more open than others, you know, everyone has their own level of comfort or their personality, but oftentimes, and I've been doing this for 10, 12 years, maybe longer with teams and groups, it's amazing what comes out, Matthew. I mean, people will share really, really personal stuff, really open up about what's going on in their lives, about 
you know, fears and doubts and challenges, about hopes and dreams and goals, about struggles and pain and whatever. And usually what ends up happening and what we know from the research and I know from experience is that vulnerability, while scary and challenging, <laughs> mm. it, it binds us together. It connects us with each other. The natural human response to vulnerability is empathy. Mm-hmm. And so what's amazing about having a conversation like that, and it's not just about a one-time conversation exercise at an offsite. It's about how do we integrate this type of relating and connecting with each other on a more regular basis, especially, by the way, when things are challenging. I literally have a Zoom meeting with my own team almost every day now, and we do some version of this exercise to start every meeting. Like, let's check in, and if we really knew you right now, how are you doing? And it's amazing how quickly it can bond, you know, bind us together and have us connected with each other on a human level. Right. When I read this in your book, I said, I am going to adopt that in the work that I'm doing. It's, I got goosebumps yeah. because, yeah, and you, you lay out a really nice example in your book. And, well, they'll have to buy the book, the listeners, so they can <laughs> – but it's fantastic. Yeah. And so that's your first pillar, really, about that psychological yeah. safety net area. Now let's move on to the second pillar. And what you just described is such a nice segue into what you call focus on inclusion and belonging. And you also address yeah. – within that diversity, but you really emphasize belonging. Talk about why, you know, what should team leaders and teams regard about this? Well, look, I mean, I think if you break it down, like diversity is about having as many people at the table as possible from different backgrounds and perspectives, right? Inclusion is making sure that we do everything we possibly can, particularly as leaders, to include everyone especially those that might, by their nature, by their identity, by their background, feel more excluded, um, you know, sort of historically and in general. The real goal, ultimately, and what we know about great teams, is that you create an environment where everyone belongs. And one of the things that I break down in this particular pillar is we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And there's the five needs on Maslow's pyramid. You start at the bottom with physiological needs. Then you move up to safety needs. The third level of need that we have as human beings are belonging needs. So it's not just something we want or something we desire or something that's important. It's something that we fundamentally need. If you keep going up the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy, you get to esteem, you know, self-esteem and esteem from others, and then ultimately self-actualization, right, which is about mm-hmm. transformation, like you talk about here on your show. But when you break that down, and one of the challenges we're facing right now with with respect to the pandemic is that so many of us are really focused on the first or second level of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Our physiological needs. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to be well? Am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Are we going to get sick, right? And then the safety needs, the second one, am I going to have a job? Can I pay the bills? And so, look, we have to, at some level, address those things. It's just like when someone's sick, they don't come to work, right? Because, like, you can't Mm -hmm. really work when you're sick, and so... And then ultimately, if I don't feel relatively safe and secure in my role and in my job, it's hard for me to really do much else. So that part of that is important to understand right now that leaders need to address, you know, the base level needs that we have on the sort of hierarchy of needs. But belonging is a fundamental need that what we can do is look for how do I create environments where and and conversations and interactions where I'm really looking for common ground and common humanity. You look back to the, if you really knew me exercise and lowering the waterline on the iceberg, 
where we find more common ground, especially by the way, when we're different, you know, if, if I'm a man and you're a woman, if I'm, you know, 58 years old and you're 23 years old, if I'm from California and you're from Nebraska, if I'm in engineering and you're in sales, I mean, again, the more differences on the surface, you know, if we have different religious backgrounds, we have different political persuasions, we have different, you know, races and, I mean, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. All those differences, as important as they are for us to understand and try to appreciate and try to be as inclusive as possible, ultimately how we create an environment where people feel like they belong is that we find common ground with each other and where the common ground exists is below the waterline on the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, unless you and I look the same and we came from the same place and we're the same age and we're the same race and we have the same values and all, like, check, 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 all those boxes. First of all, you don't want a team where everybody looks the same and sounds the same. And I mean, that would be <laughs> a problem for a whole other set of reasons. But unless we have all of those things in common, which we usually don't, we're going to have to work a little bit harder to really get to know each other, to find more common ground. But that's the real hard and important work for teams to do. And the challenge that many teams face, Matthew, in today's world, not just because we're in the midst of this pandemic, which is a big challenge in and of itself, but look, even three months ago, before we were dealing with this, life's moving really fast. There's a ton of different demands on our time and attention. There's stress. There's everything happening. Like most teams, unfortunately, don't invest the time that's necessary into really creating a healthy and thriving team. And if you don't, look, it's like a marriage. If you don't invest in your marriage, it doesn't just naturally, oh, it's just great because, like, we love each other. Like, yeah, and you got to do some work, right? Our team, mm-hmm. oh, I hired the really smart, talented people, and everyone's really bought into the mission. And, we're like, yeah, and you got to keep nurturing the team and the relationships in addition to doing the work because otherwise things start to go sideways. Mm. And embedded in this, when you talk about, okay, you're invited in, you're at the table, and there's this belonging piece happening, but there's something that we all do, whether we realize it or not, and that's what you call covering. Would you mind talking about that a bit? So covering is a, is a concept, a phenomenon that basically we cover certain aspects of who we are um, because we don't think they're acceptable or they're appropriate, right? And again, mm-hmm. you can imagine if, if I'm somebody, again, you know, you, you've moved around the country in diff- different places, as you and I were talking about on the break, right? You yeah. move to a new place and you go, oh, I live in Nebraska now. Okay, well, this is different than Chicago or this is different than Seattle or this is different. You, at first, you feel it out like, what's the norm here? What do people talk about? What do people like? What's the, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a tendency, understandably, right? I'm going to cover, I'm not going to talk about this or that until I feel it, figure out, is that an okay thing to talk about, right? <laughs> to share about yeah. myself. Um, and we all do this. And again, if, if you can imagine, again, the more we find ourselves or people who find themselves in a non-dominant sort of minority position, if you will, just based on how they look or their background or their beliefs or whatever, there's a tendency to cover more. So the research on covering shows that I think it's, they, they did some global research on this and they found that females who are black and have a few other qualities like in the study covered the most, right? And you could imagine, okay, being female, being a person of color, depending on, right? And this was done around the world. But then I think 45% of the straight white men in the survey, in the study that I reference in the book, reported to covering some aspects of themselves. So even being in the sort of dominant group, hey, I'm white, I'm straight, I'm male, I'm right. There's still, a, oh, I'm going to cover this or I'm going to cover that. I'm, I don't want people to know this about me because maybe they'll judge me or they'll think I'm weird or they'll think I'm not so smart or whatever the heck it is, right? We're human. Mm-hmm. We're managing, right? It's, that, it's the part we let pop up above the surface of the waterline 
what we cover is what's down below the waterline. So again, I'm not advocating, nor do I think it's appropriate or, or effective for us to share everything about ourselves with everyone all the time, right? Like there are certain things I keep private, just like everyone else does, not because mm-hmm. I'm covering it because I'm embarrassed about it necessarily, but just because like, hey, it's none of your business. Like that's right. my personal <laughs> business. However, uh-huh. most of us can benefit from lowering the waterline on our iceberg. Ultimately, what we find is like, oh, we're actually more alike than we are different. We actually yes. have a lot more, again, common ground as human beings, and we don't need to spend so much time and energy covering these aspects of ourselves. That said, though, it is important to remember and understand and have empathy for. It makes sense why certain people cover certain aspects of themselves. Because if you've had something held against you or if you've been held back for certain reasons, you learn over the course of your life, hey, I need to be careful with how I operate in these environments. You know, a great example is a man can say one thing, and a woman can say the exact same thing, and it's often perceived very differently. Or the CEO can say one thing or do one thing, and you know, a mid-level manager or an intern can do that same thing, and it's like, hey, why are they doing that? Who do they think they are? Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yes. we don't just do the covering thing because we want to be you know, manipulative or not truthful. We do it because we've had experiences that have taught us, like, hey, be careful about sharing that part of yourself. Yes, and it links back nicely to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you were talking about earlier and that need for safety, right? We, right. We're at a commercial break, Mike. When we come back, let's continue this conversation. We'll go into the third and fourth pillars. So for everyone out there, we'll yeah. be back here in a couple of moments. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life-changing events can have positive and or negative repercussions. When they happen, they can feel elating or devastating to those affected. It can also get in the way of your personal and professional life. On Life-Altering Events with host Frank Zakari, we examine the scope of these events and discuss how to move forward in the wake of the opportunities presented. It's never too late to get started or pick up the pieces and move forward. Listen Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Mike Robbins, the author of We're All in This Together. Now, Mike, we were talking, of course, in the last segment about belonging. And earlier in the first segment, you were talking about the question, well, how are you? And right now, I might mm-hmm. answer, I'm great. But in 10 minutes from now, I might not be so great. <laughs> and and right. I, I quite, you know, my show is all about energy and transformation and I would say those are also reflections of the energy that's being exhibited in our bodies at that time and yeah. you know there's a it's a combination you've got the anabolic the really good growth oriented building energy and then you might have some of that catabolic that's breaking down where maybe you're fearful right. you're nervous so all that in perspective when you think about leadership how do you view energy in context not only the leader and the team and so forth well, I, look, I think it's fundamental. I mean, you know this, and your work focuses a lot on this. I, uh, you know, I have my, my friend and colleague, Tony Schwartz, you know, has written books about this for years, and the focus of his work is a lot about managing your energy, not your time, mm-hmm. um, which to me, when I first was introduced to that concept, it was like, oh, yeah, that's really important, right? How we manage our energy is way more important even than how we block out our time because, look, I can spend you know, 10 hours doing something and I'm completely energized by it because I'm really engaged and I'm right. Or I can spend 20 Mm. minutes doing something and I'm exhausted. So it's not a function of the time. And I think right now, when you think about it to some of what we've been talking about previously in this conversation, it's like, how are we showing up as human beings and as leaders right now? People are picking up much more on our energy than they are even on the things that we're saying. Where's it coming from? And while look, if we're freaked out, and we're mindful of, I don't want to freak out my whole team because I'm feeling freaked out. Trying to pretend that we're not nervous or scared when we are doesn't really work. Again, I learned this many years ago as an athlete. Like when I would go out on the baseball field, if I was really stressed out and I was really feeling intimidated by the moment and scared, that was part of the experience sometimes. I had to learn how to manage that and move through that if I was going to be effective. If I tried to suck it up, if I tried to push it away, it didn't work, and it usually ended up bringing me down. So I think that what we have to do right now is this is a time for us to double down and triple down on all of our own self-care processes, whatever that may be, and it's harder than ever. I know I've been struggling with it personally, but it's like, can I really focus on my meditation practice and my journaling practice and figure out how to exercise even in a modified way given what's going on? And those things may seem kind of simple and basic, and they are, but like we've all noticed, when we don't do those things, especially over time, they take a toll. And, yes. you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the concept of like circumstances don't define us, they reveal us. So mm-hmm. it's like, what's this moment revealing about all of us? Some of our true colors are coming out for better or worse. And so what leaders have to do is not be perfect, not think they can't make mistakes, because we all do, but mm-hmm. to pay attention to what's the energy that I'm bringing to this conversation or to the team or to this situation, to what you were talking about earlier. Am I underreacting? Am I overreacting? Am I, or, or am I really meeting the moment with the energy that's necessary? 
Mm-hmm. Be self-aware. I always say at the fundamental yeah. level, stop and pay attention to your body. It's speaking to you, yeah. whether you're being good to it or not. So, yes. Totally. Yeah. You know, so we've talked about the first pillar being psychological safety. The second one about, you know, inclusion and belonging. Let's go to your third pillar and talk about why it's so critical. Well, so this one is called Embrace Sweaty Palm Conversations. And there's a little story behind that. I had a mentor of mine years ago say this great thing to me, Matthew. He said, Mike, you know what stands between you and the kind of relationships you really want to have with people? I said, what's that? He said, it's probably a 10-minute sweaty palm conversation you're too afraid to have. He said, if you get really good at those 10-minute sweaty palm conversations, you'll have fantastic relationships. He said, but if you do like most of us and you avoid them because, you know, they can be uncomfortable or they can be awkward or people get upset or it doesn't always go the way you want. He's like, then you end up being, you know, sort of a victim of who you live with, who you work with. He said, but if you lean into those conversations and have them sooner rather than later, you know, you'll build trust. You get to know people who are different than you are. You'll talk about the elephant in the room. You'll give feedback. You'll receive feedback. You'll address issues right up front. And look, he was absolutely right. It was very sound and wise advice. And like most humans I know, I don't love having those conversations. They're not my favorite. I don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, guess what? I want to have a bunch of really uncomfortable, awkward conversations with people about difficult subjects. Like, no, my tendency initially in most situations is to move away or avoid them. But I've learned over time that it's necessary to turn towards those conversations and lean into them. It does take quite a bit of self-awareness, as you were just talking about. And also, it's, it's a paradox because, like, if let's just say you and I work together or we're friends or we're, you know, related to each other or whatever. We, like, the more trust that exists in our relationship, the easier it is for us to have those sweaty palm conversations. The mm-hmm. paradox is one of the best ways for us to build trust in our relationship is to have those sweaty palm conversations, right? And demonstrate and so care, what, yes. Ex- exactly. And mm-hmm. so, you know, again... Think about what we were talking about before the break in terms of of diversity, inclusion, belonging. There's a lot of sweaty palm conversations that are necessary for us to have if we're going to address issues of race, of gender, of orientation, of background, of sensitive topics, right, Mm -hmm. that we need to talk about to try to get to know and understand each other. But, ooh, I don't want to offend or I'm not sure or I don't know the right term to use or, oh, my goodness, or so we just avoid them, right? Right. Or with with respect to what's going on right now. Like there's a ton of, I keep saying to all the leaders I'm talking to, like you got to be having sweaty palm conversations with your team all the time, meaning like not to freak everyone out, but we have to tell the truth. Like one conversation I've been having with my team personally, specifically is like, look, here's the deal. I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. Um, my hope is that we're going to make through, make, not only make it through this, but get to the other side of this and be stronger and really thrive. But the reality is, there's a scenario here, not to freak everybody out, there's a scenario here that economically things could turn in such a way this business could significantly change and ultimately not even be here at a certain point. Now, I don't want that to happen. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to fight to not have that happen, but I've literally never dealt with this situation, nor has almost anyone that I know. So we're in uncharted waters. We're going to have to figure this out together. And the mm-hmm. undercurrent of that is that everyone on my team knows that at some point, I'm not threatening anyone, but at some point, some hard decisions are going to have to get made about certain people's jobs and roles and how we manage the business. Now, that's true whether it's a small business like the one I'm running or it's a big corporation where companies are having to furlough people and lay them off or modify expenses or do some things to figure out how they're going to get through it. And that's just the reality of life and of business. And the more we can have those conversations directly, as uncomfortable as they may be, 
the more respectful it is. Again, it's like the, it's like the pilot getting on the intercom and saying, hey, we're going to hit some bumps here. I'm going to do everything I can because like the under communication of that is, I don't want this plane to crash and for all of us to die. <laughs> right. He doesn't say that because that would freak us out a little bit much, but that's basically what we're counting on him for, and we don't even know him. We've never met him. We're trusting he's trained to fly the plane and land it and keep us all safe, but like, it's a leap of faith every time we get on an airplane, just as an example, and in a different way, but similarly, that's what's necessary for this moment and in general with respect to, I mean, the truth is, things are always uncertain. We just live sometimes in this hypnotic sort of state of certainty until something big happens, like we're dealing with right now, that reminds us, oh, yeah, nothing's really certain. <laughs> we mm. don't know. Yeah, nothing's certain. You know, and you yeah. packed in all that. I, first of all, I was going to ask you, where did sweaty palm conversations come from? So I'm glad <laughs> you addressed that. But, but right. what he sent, you know, and fundamentally what you're talking about, if there is, if it, there's silence, if you're hearing crickets and leadership's right. not, and, and you're right, I want to know, okay, you you don't have a certain you don't exactly know what's going to happen in the future. And I appreciate your honesty and having that communication. That makes me feel so much more calmer or, well, you know, as calm as I can be, I suppose. So, but that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I want to take this a little bit further because I think when you, when you started talking about this feedback is very scary for a lot of people, you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't Like you said, I don't have the right vernacular, the right words, whatever. So, Again, let's talk about a technique. What, what's a, an approach that we could use to promote more honest and open dialogue with the people that we care about? There's a great technique that I talk about in this particular pillar, and it's something I learned a number of years ago. But there's some questions that we can prompt people with ourselves to receive feedback. Because you're right, feedback's hard both ways. Or if we're going to go and give feedback. But there's three questions that it's three words, start, stop, continue. What could I start doing that I'm not doing that you think would have me be more successful or effective in general or in relationship with you? What could I stop doing that I'm currently doing that you think might be getting in my way and having me not be as effective and successful in general or with you? What could I continue doing? Like what's working well that you would encourage me to continue doing? And again, if we go and ask people these questions, we elicit their feedback, we make it as safe as possible. But even if we go to give feedback, I do this with my own team. I've worked with leaders for years to do this, like set this up. We're going to have a start, stop, continue conversation. And often it can go both ways. So I might sit down with you. Let's just say, you know, Matthew, you report to me and I'm going to say, okay, Matthew, I'm going to talk to you about some things you can start, stop and continue. Then I'm going to turn the tables and have you, right? Um, You can tell me some things I can start, stop, continue. But it's a great way I find like it's an access point to some sweaty palm conversations that are necessary but more often than not, and what we know from neuroscience, too, is that when we're asked for feedback, we're much more open and receptive to taking it in, and it makes it easier for the other person to give it to us. When we go approach someone and let them know we have to give them feedback, there's an internal defense mechanism that goes up, even if we have a lot of trust and safety that exists in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's scary, right? Because if you come to me and say, hey, Mike, I have some feedback for you, like, I'm immediately going to go, oh, gosh, what did I do? He hates me. I'm in trouble. Right? <laughs> it's like I'm, you're going to turn into my you know, principal in third grade or whatever versus, right, if I come to you and say, Matthew, do you have any feedback for me? Uh So again, trying to figure out how we get more into that growth mindset place is really important. And as leaders, trying to figure out how you create that environment where proactively you're giving and receiving feedback all the time, knowing that it's really for everybody's 
you know, growth and development. It's not about reprimanding people. I mean, look, sometimes we need to reprimand someone. Sometimes we need to be reprimanded, like, hey, knock it off. You can't do that. But mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100, the feedback doesn't come in the form of, like, you're in trouble and you're bad and you have to stop doing that, even though that's the way we interpret it because, like, we learned about feedback as children when we were getting into trouble and our parents were saying, knock it off or get off that thing or you're going to break your neck or whatever. So we still sometimes internalize feedback that way. Yeah, yeah. You're, and you're right. I resonate with every single thing that you're saying. You know, one of the things I do in my work, I'm a professional facilitator. I do a lot of leadership things. And and I, I have a great a great group of facilitators that work with me who care about me and I care about them. And when we give each other feedback, like, you know, Matt, you really should stop doing that. I, I take it from the place of they're not judging. They're just saying, yep, yeah, that's not working. But just try this, you know, start doing this and continue doing what you're doing on this area. Yep. I take it so much differently than, like you just said, you know, man, i got to talk with you about how you're facilitating. Ooh, I don't feel so great. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> so we've got time. I want to move into the, the fourth pillar before we have to start wrapping yep. things up. And it's called care about and challenge each other. And talk yep. about how this concept of being nice, does it work or not in the team situation? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong about being nice. But the thing is, there's a difference, I think, between niceness and kindness. Nice, sometimes there's a sense, look, and I'm someone who I, I'm a relatively nice guy, but I, niceness can get in my way when I'm trying, oh, I want to sugarcoat this. I don't want you to not like me. I don't want you to think negatively of me, right? So what we want to think about is more kindness and care. And sometimes caring about someone or caring about a group or being kind is actually having a sweaty palm conversation and saying, hey, you know what, that didn't really work for me or I'm really concerned about this or I'm upset, which again, if we're just about being nice, we will often, you know, we've all had this happen in business. Everyone sits around the table and nods, yeah, that sounds great, that sounds great. And then you leave and you think, okay, everyone's on board and you realize like half the people thought it was a terrible idea, but they didn't know how to bring it up. They didn't know how to say, hey, Matt, I'm not really on board with that or I don't understand that. I don't think that's a good idea. But if what we're focused on as a team is being nice with each other, it can be a problem. When I come into work with a team at and they say, hey, uh, we get along great. There's never a problem. We never have any conflicts. I'm always like, Oop, somebody's lying. <laughs> red flag. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a red flag. So the, the balance of caring and challenging is what teams need to, to figure out how to do. I had one of my coaches in college at Stanford, uh, Dean Stotts, who's a dear friend and a mentor of mine. I had him on my podcast about six months ago. And he said this great thing. He, he coached at Stanford for 37 years, super successful, really smart really talented coach and just a phenomenal human being. He's, he's retired from coaching, but he said, Mike, my philosophy on coaching for all those years was always this. He said, I believed I had to love you hard so I could push you hard. Mm. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I knew that if I was going to get the most out of you as an athlete individually and the team, that the first thing I had to do was let you know that I cared about you, that I loved you, that I had your back as a person. And if I did that and I continued to do that, I knew you would then give me permission to push you and challenge you. But if I didn't love you, I wasn't, I couldn't push you. And I thought, wow, like that's what great leaders do. That's what great teams do is we focus on caring about the people around us. It doesn't mean we're always all going to be best friends and we have the same values and we all hang out and go have drinks and, you know, meals and watch whatever game together or go to the mall or, I mean, right. That's great. If we all end up having wonderful, you know, personal relationships with each other, but that's not necessary. You don't have to like someone or agree with them or think they're fantastic to care about them. Mm -hmm. We can care about anybody, by the way. So it's about, it's an intention. It's a commitment. I care about you. I value you. 
and then we challenge each other. Again, and I think of this in sports terms, like I'm a huge basketball fan. I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been a Golden State Warriors fan since I was a kid. They were mostly terrible for a long time, and then for about five years here, they were the best team in basketball. There's a guy on their team named Draymond Green who's kind of the heart and soul of their team in a lot of ways. Even though he's not their best player, he's the guy that gets up in everybody's face when it's needed, right? And I watched Draymond mm-hmm. Green on the basketball court like bark at someone or yell at someone. I think, oh my gosh, if someone yelled at me like that, I would not appreciate it. But I know that he's loved and adored by his teammates because he knows that like, he loves and adores them and he's so committed to their success that part of his job and his personality is he's going to be the enforcer, if you will, challenging everybody to play harder and do it, you know, those kind of things. And we all need a Draymond Green on our team that's willing to get up in our face and challenge us. Like, but first and foremost, we have to know he or she or whoever it is loves us, cares about us, values us. Then we're open to their feedback and their challenge. Mm-hmm. And love really does belong, belongs in business and belongs in uh, our relationships. And, and from the lens, like you're saying, when you really love someone, <clears throat> you view them through a different lens because you want them to be successful. You want them to have a happy life and and really perform at their highest. And I completely agree yeah. with you. There was a concept in your book that really struck me. And it you talk about two specific things that championship leadership teams understand from a mindset mm-hmm. perspective. And I'd like for you yeah. to talk with us about, about that. So one of them is the difference between job and role. We use those words interchangeably, but they're different. Your role is what you do. Your role is your title. Your role is on your business card. You still even have business cards. It's on your LinkedIn profile. It's not your job, though. What great teams understand is everyone on the team has the same job. And your job is to help the team win. That's your job. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. And if we put our role above our job, now we're more interested in me and mine and me getting credit. And, and leaders run into trouble with this because a real senior leader will talk about my team, meaning the team that they manage. And that's the second mindset thing that leadership teams really understand is that your first team is the team you're a member of. So we go all the way to the executive team, the CEO and his or her team. The team is my peers in this room. I'm the CFO. You're the you know, head of sales. This other person is the head of HR. This other person is the head of engineering. Like We all have very different functional roles, different skill sets, different backgrounds. But we're one team. We're each other's first team. We're each other's peers. And then our second team is the team that reports to us. And think about those folks, the peers. Again, if you're a senior leader, an executive leader, you have a leadership team that reports to you. You want that team to be their, each other's first team because any misalignment at the leadership team level creates exponential misalignment down through the organization. So when the head of engineering, right, the, the chief product officer, let's say, or the chief sales officer talks about my team and they're thinking about all their salespeople or all their engineers, now what you're doing unconsciously is setting up an us versus them dynamic between engineering and sales, let's say, or product and sales, which everyone's on the same team. But if, that, mm-hmm. if, you're, if I'm the chief product officer and you're the chief sales officer, and we think of each other as teammates, we're on the same team, and our job is to help the team win, not just to do our role well. Now, all of a sudden, any us and them that exist between you know, engineering and sales, that can't happen because we're all on the same team. Absolutely. And, you know, it struck me as I was thinking about my life and my career, and there was a pinnacle moment for me when I got 360 feedback, and my team that reported to me – I got high, high marks, high marks. The people mm-hmm. above yep. me, good mar- high marks. But it was my peers at the senior manager level who yep. didn't really know 
I wasn't really communicating out. And it was so eye-opening for me. So I, I thought that was such a, a poignant part. Yeah, I wanted to point out or have you address before we bring this to a close. Mike, I have to tell you, we've only got about two and a half minutes left. And so <laughs> here we go. We've been talking yeah. a lot about so many important things. And I, my hope is, is as this show ends and the listeners go away from it, they feel like, okay, I've got some renewed energy about how to navigate this pandemic thing. And, and in general, just leading teams and working with others. So for you, here's your, your challenge. Boil this down. Give us three or four points, action steps that we can take in our lives to really have these championship experiences? Well, the first thing is, and I said it earlier, but it's just like we've got to take care of ourselves. The paradox of what makes up great teams is a bunch of people who take responsibility for their own experience. So we count on each other, absolutely, but we also know it's my job to make sure that I'm healthy, I'm well, I'm engaged. The second thing is check in with people, right? We were talking about earlier, but asking people how they're doing right now and in general on a human level and my hope is that that stays with us when we move through this pandemic, that we're still as interested and connected to each other. And then the third thing that we can do, and this is so simple, but it's profound, and great teams really get this, is we ask for support. Most people mm-hmm. I know, myself included, Matt, we're really good at offering support, or if someone asks for help, we're happy to show up and help them. We're not usually nearly as good as ask, at asking for help and support. But the answer is always no if we don't ask. And what we forget is that our ability and our willingness, our courage, our vulnerability to ask for support, practical support or emotional support, gives other people permission to do something that most people love to do, which is help and support. And when you create a team and an environment where people feel safe enough to do that, and we're looking out for each other, and we're asking for support, and we're offering support, now everybody can thrive. Absolutely. And at the very core, take care of yourself. It's just the old analogy, put on your face or gas or your gas mask, your oxygen mask before you help, you know, the person sitting next. Yeah. And and check in with people. It's okay. Be honest. And it's okay to share emotions and ask for support. Totally. Absolutely. Yes. Mike, thank you so much for being here. And before we go, a couple of things. What is the best way for the listening audience to contact you if they want to get in touch after the show? Well, the best way is to go to our website, and we actually have a special page that we set up for the new book. It's mike-robbins.com forward slash together. So at that page, Matt, everyone can find out more about the new book. There's some uh, videos and stuff on there, but there's also some free bonus material that folks can get uh, if when they go to that page just for checking it out. So it's mike-robbins.com forward slash together. Excellent. And, by, and here's a big question. When's the book available? Well, so the book is, was officially supposed to come out May 5th. Our publisher moved up the publication date to get it out. So it's out and available now in many places, and Amazon should have books within the next few days. So wherever you get your books from, you can get it now or you can pre-order it, and it'll come within the next few days. And to the listening audience, it is a, it's a good, easy read. It's practical. It's smart. And Mike brings in all these different thought leaders in terms of making his – his ideas so real and tangible for you. So thank you, Mike. And for everyone out there, thank you for joining us. If you have a topic that you want covered, please contact me. You know all the ways that you can do that. And until next week, harness your positive energy, lead that transformation, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.